This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Calobios, a biotech best known for a series of disastrous events, including failed clinical trials, bankruptcy filing, lawsuits, and the arrest of its CEO, is being reborn, and in the process may provide a valuable contribution to the ongoing discussion over drug pricing. In April, the development stage company unveiled a pricing plan based on transparency, affordability, and reasonable profit. We spoke to Cameron Durant. CEO of Calobios, about his efforts to clean up the mess he inherited, turn around the fortunes of the company, and introduce an innovative pricing model that could reshape the way the industry thinks about pricing its products. Cameron, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you today, Danny. We're going to talk about Calobios, its effort to break free from its toxic previous CEO, Martin Shrikili, and an innovative approach to pricing it's introduced as part of that effort. Perhaps we can begin with a company itself, which many people may only have heard of because of the controversy. We should note that your predecessor was arrested for fraud, but it was unrelated to his involvement with Calobios, where he was CEO for less than a month. What is Calobios and, and, and what does it do? What Calabias does today is bring medicines to patients with neglected and rare diseases. The company's been around for quite some time and uh, put a great deal of focus into its monoclonal antibody platform. Unfortunately, a couple of these clinical trials didn't work out, and the company was looking to wind down operations in November of last year. And uh, it was toward the middle and then the end of November that Mr. Shkreli and some associates uh, got involved with the company, as you mentioned, for less than a month, which overlapped with some of the other allegations that Mr. Shkreli is facing in the context of a completely separate company where he was previously the CEO. And, and the company recently reached a settlement with him. What, what's the essence of that settlement and what's the significance of that in terms of allowing the company to break free of that association? Well, we have new investors, and on the basis of the investment that's coming in as we exit bankruptcy, Mr. Shkreli's share will be diluted to less than 14, that's one four, 14%. And we've also got an initial agreement. I just want to emphasize we're not at the definitive agreement stage of that agreement with Mr. Shkreli, whereby uh, he will sell 
is residual stake either to uh, qualified investors or to the company under certain terms. So this was a company that was having its problems before his involvement. It was in bankruptcy. It was sued by shareholders. And, and the deal with Savant for its treatment for Chagas disease, potentially valuable for the priority review voucher that could be earned once approved, was falling apart when you came in. What convinced you to step in here as what was the fifth CEO in 14 months? <laughs> yeah, well, I sometimes ask myself that question. <laughs> Danny in uh, in the depths of the night. So um, a number of things were important to me. So this company was uh, pretty much pronounced dead twice over, and uh, we've been able to take some important steps to turn it around and resuscitate and further rejuvenate the company. I would hope in time for the company to be seen as an example of what can be accomplished in biotech. So some of the things that I was interested in doing were, uh, first of all, around the product. I believe that it's an important obligation of the biotech and pharmaceutical industry to bring products to market that patients need, and in this case, the neglected diseases, so patients who really are suffering because of a dearth of uh, available treatment, as well as for rare diseases. So that was important, and I have belief in the product portfolio that the company has, and we've uh, also been looking at some additional products to potentially augment the portfolio in due course. Secondly, um, I, I'm absolutely besotted with the industry, and I am really upset by the kicking in the teeth that the industry has received over the last several years. And that's only got worse with some of the egregious pricing that has uh, been unfolding and has uh, been, been very visible in the media. So it was important to me to try and take some steps to, in perhaps a small way, attempt to reset the public perception of what pharma and biotech do. And then thirdly, and probably third in terms of priority two, I thought that this was a unique, perhaps once-in-a-lifetime career opportunity for me to grow and develop as an industry professional. I've never had to deal with any of the following, a bankruptcy, class-action lawsuit, pipe investors suing, clinical trials suspended, company out of money. Uh, former CEO having been arrested, the board having been decimated, losing staff left and right. So with any one of those situations, never mind that whole constellation of issues coming together. And I would also say, Danny, well, stated that they thought this company would never get out of bankruptcy, and if it did, It'll probably take a couple of years, and even then, there'd be overhang from some of the issues I just pointed out. We're almost there. I hope we get there, and it's been six months, and we've tackled all of those issues that I just referred to. Well, where, where are you with the bankruptcy? So we had the plan of reorganization confirmed by the bankruptcy court and the judge last Wednesday. Um, we 
need to satisfy certain requirements and stipulations of that plan. So we're targeting to emerge from bankruptcy in the near future, by which I mean in the next several weeks. And how about in terms of raising capital? Well, we have capital committed, so provided we meet some of those stipulations, then we have a new investor base who have already committed to fund the company through uh, bankruptcy exit. How about benzonidazole, the potential Chagas treatment? What's the status of that? There had been uh, a prior non-binding LOI, which uh, we inherited when we stepped in in January, uh, and that got renegotiated to a binding LOI, uh, and that then uh, obviously led to a set of definitive agreements, and we're just finalizing those as we speak. And, and where where is that drug in the development cycle? So benzonidazole has been available in some countries, primarily Latin American countries, for several decades. It was first produced by Roche in 1971, but it um, became unavailable, uh, unfortunately, uh, in more recent times. So the drug has never been made available in the United States. And what we know from CDC estimates is there are 300,000 people with Chagas disease in the United States, and that number is growing. So unfortunately, these patients are being denied therapy, which has been proven to be efficacious in some cases, particularly in younger patients. And uh, while there are some adverse events, as there are with any product, uh, the adverse event profile is well characterized and well known. So our job is to be able to work with FDA and to bring this drug through a development plan that we agree with FDA, which we expect to be a 505B2. But until we've got that confirmation with FDA, we can't say with certainty. And to be able to uh, bring the product to patients who have this neglected disease. So, as I've mentioned, our strategy uh, being to bring medicines to patients with neglected and rare diseases and benzonidazole perfectly fix that aspiration. In April, you announced a new pricing model for not just benzonidazole, but for all of your current and future drugs in your pipeline. It has three major elements, affordability, transparency, and a reasonable return. Walk us through how that will work. Yeah, so we refer to this as our responsible pricing model. And uh, as you know, Danny, there's a great deal of debate and uh, we would say rhetoric about the complexity of the pricing issue in pharma and biotech. However, there are very few tangible, concrete examples of actually making a difference and addressing it. So you can get mired in endless debate, point and counterpoint, or you can just try and do something about it. And so in this case, the responsible pricing model seeks to do that. So at the core of the model is one of the three notions you mentioned, and that's transparency. So we intend to be completely transparent about what goes into the manufacturing, the regulatory, the development process, distribution, commercialization associated with the product in the United States and beyond. Uh, and we will share that information with the various stakeholders who have interest in that information. 
We want vans to be affordable, which is one of the other critical components of strategy, uh, and affordable to payers and to patients. And remember, we're talking about neglected disease where many of the patients who suffer from this disease are in poor or marginalized circumstances. And then the third key component is to garner a reasonable return. Uh, and what constitutes a reasonable return is not something that we're going to force down the throats of stakeholders, particularly payers uh, and others. We're going to engage in a conversation with key stakeholders as to what they think a reasonable return looks like. They'll have the benefit of our cost base, and so they can inform us as to what they think is appropriate. We, we've got a growing debate in this country over drug pricing, something in part your predecessor helped fuel, but the industry has long approached this very defensively without inserting itself into the discussion about new approaches in, in any meaningful way. What kind of response have you had to this plan? Has it been taken seriously? Has it been dismissed as a stunt? So it, it, it's been generally very supportive. And I would tell you, Danny, that many of my colleagues who are CEOs and other C-suite executives in the industry privately have been very supportive and uh, have even indicated that this is where they think the industry is headed. Publicly, it's a lot more difficult for those people and their colleagues to say that. So. Um, we're not suggesting that this model applies to everybody. And in fact, for many companies, because of their internal structures and their investor base and their cost base, which is essentially their operating model, they'll probably have a tough time switching to this. And it's also not something that you can necessarily flip a switch and execute. We're in the fortunate position of having come through something of a nightmarish situation and so we can completely tear up what was done before and write the new playbook. So we have that advantage. Uh, and, of course, pricing has become something that uh, uh, is in the, uh, in the public debate. In fact, it was noted as the number one issue uh, in a sample that the Federal Reserve Board conducted last year. Uh, and I have to say, Danny, pricing has been an issue in many countries outside the U.S. for decades. So I think um, the industry has been fortunate to have escaped some of the concerns, but the egregious actions of some players recently has unfortunately meant that it is front and center and it's not going away. Well, how challenging do you think this will be to execute? Uh, for us, I don't think it, um, it really is going to be that challenging because we'll have a cost base and uh, we'll intend to uh, show that to the key stakeholders that we want to uh, converse with and we believe should be interested in this. I think for bigger companies or other companies, it could be extremely challenging. What one of the points of this, Danny, is uh, transparency, as I mentioned. 
we live in a world where you can get access to pretty much any information if you know how to do it. So by assuming that this is some great big secret, um, yeah, we think that people are misguided if they think that they can keep those secrets much longer. And the industry is generally priced to what the market will bear. And from an economic model and from a conventional historical uh, shareholder value maximization perspective, that may have been appropriate. But the world has changed. The U.S. spends more per head of its GDP than any other developed country. In fact, it's, it's getting close to 18% now, which is either double or three times that of other developed countries, which have as good, if not better, outcomes. So why are we spending that much more for a lot less? And we're not saying that it's pharmaceuticals and pricing and pharmaceuticals solely that's driving that. There are many inefficiencies in the delivery of healthcare, but this is just one pretty visible, significant portion of that. How will you measure whether this pricing model is successful? Well, uh, I think the fact that you and I are talking today is one measure of it, that it's got the attention of people as being something that is different in the sense that it's a specific, concrete model that is being enacted. Uh, we're also receiving some favorable responses from stakeholders, including clinicians, patient advocacy groups, NGOs, payers. So I would say that they're all intrigued. Uh, we don't yet have a product at market. Uh, we hope that that will change soon. And um, I think that uh, the people are waiting to see um, how this is viewed. But as I mentioned, so far, it's been viewed very positively. You've mentioned that it's something that might not be easily translatable to other companies. But if it is successful, do you think others will replicate it either by choice or by force? In other countries where... Um, there hasn't been adequate, I'll call it uh, self-administration. Governments have often stepped in. And I don't think anybody really wants that to happen in the U.S. So models have to evolve. There's a lot of talk about value-based pricing, uh, whereby people will generate value dossiers and have this whole army of health economists that justify the price, we have a somewhat different view, which is just price it less. Cameron Durant, Chairman and CEO of Calabios. Cameron, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Dan. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, 
send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.